Chapter Five of the Discovery of New Worlds. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Discovery of New Worlds by M. B. Singh. Chapter Five: The Great Fire in Rome. Darkening the golden roof of Nero's world, from smouldering Rome, the smoke of ruin curled. William Watson. It has been said, and perhaps it is true that the emperor was mad at times, and not responsible for all he did. Be this as it may, the year sixty-four was marked by a terrible fire in Rome, which lasted nearly a week, and left a great part of Rome in ashes. The summer had been hot and dry. One warm night in July a fire broke out in some wooden sheds, where were stored quantities of spices, oil, and other materials likely to feed the flames. It has been said that the emperor himself set the city on fire in his mad rage, and that, posted on one of the highest points of Rome, dressed in one of his dramatic costumes, he took his lyre, and chanted the verses of Homer on the burning and destruction of Troy. Here is the account from one of the old historians, Tacitus. All was in the wildest confusion. Men ran hither and thither. Some sought to extinguish the conflagration. Some never heard that their houses were on fire till they lay in ashes. All shrieked and cried, men, women, children, old folks, in one vast confusion of sound, so that nothing could be distinguished for the noise, as nothing could be seen clearly for the smoke. Some stood silent and in despair. Many were engaged in rescuing their possessions, while others were hard at work plundering. Men quarrelled over what was taken out of the burning houses, while the crush swayed this way and that way. Whilst this was going on at different points, a wind arose and spread the flames over the whole city. No one any longer thought of saving goods and houses. None now lamented their individual losses. All wailed over the general ruin and lamented the fate of the commonwealth. The treasures gained in the east— the beautiful works of the Greek artists, statues, pictures, temples, all were gone. A few shattered ruins stood up from among the ashes, and that was all. Whispers that Nero had lit this fire grew loud. The emperor trembled. The guilt must be laid on some one. Why not on the Christians, who refused to take part in the emperor's riots and plays, his feasts and banquets? They were regarded with suspicion they would be better away. As they had burned the city, argued the emperor, they themselves should be burned. At the head of the Christians in Rome, Paul was now working with his fellow apostle, Peter. He had toiled hard during his two years' residence in the great city, where the people had lost their ideals, lost their old love of freedom for their state, and lapsed into that condition of ease and luxury, which sooner or later— brings every nation to its fall. Paul was an old man now. His appeal to Nero had been successful, and he had been set at liberty. Here he had written his letters to the men of Ephesus, or the Ephesians. Beautiful letters, sad, yet full of hope. Again and again he repeated his charge to the brethren. They must carry on the work. His own end was near. His fight was nearly fought. His course was nearly finished. The end was now come. 
One night, a great show was announced by Nero to be held in the circus, within the gardens of the imperial palace, at the foot of the Vatican Hill. It was summer-time, and the Roman people crowded to take their places in the circus, now lit up by the flaming torches. The arena was full of stakes, to which were tied human beings, Christians, wrapped in cloths of tow steeped in pitch. While these living torches flared, and the shrieks of the martyrs rose above the noise of the music, Nero appeared, dressed in green, in an ivory chariot, and drove on the gold sand round the circus. But this was more than the Romans could endure, and, moved to pity, they begged that the dreadful spectacle should cease. In this first persecution of the Christians, it is said that both Paul and Peter suffered martyrdom in some form or other. Paul, as a Roman citizen, was beheaded. Peter was crucified, as his master had been before him. A great revulsion of feeling now set in against Nero. Such tyranny must end in disgrace. As time went on, one by one deserted him. Courtiers, slaves, freedmen, all forsook him. At last, the very guards at his palace left their post, and he made up his mind to flee from Rome. He could find no one to fly with him. "'Is it so hard to die?' said one man, quoting the poet Virgil. "'I have neither friend nor foe left,' wailed Nero, when the gladiator he had ordered to kill him failed to do it. It was night, a hot summer night, when the wretched emperor disguised himself and rode forth to seek a hiding-place, where at any rate his life might be safe.' Summer lightning was flashing over the Alban hills. It lit up the road before the flying emperor. He shivered with fear. As the morning dawned, he was persuaded to creep into a villa owned by a freedman, Phaon. Through a hole at the back, he crawled on all fours, and threw himself on a miserable pallet inside. A messenger rushed in with a letter. Nero snatched it from his hand and tore it open. He had been declared an enemy of the state, and was sentenced to die a traitor's death. He must die now. Again and again he strove to nerve himself for the last effort, but it was not till the sound of the horse's hoofs was heard that he put the dagger to his throat. So died Nero, the last of the Caesars. End of chapter 5